0: Cool, so we are live with the Deadly Analysis podcast. Uh, my name is Noah Adam, and today we are going to be talking about uh, The Babadook. If it's in a word or it's in a book, here comes the fucking Babadook. Now that's not how it actually goes, but um, this is uh, a, a really good horror movie that would have been on my list um, had we only had to choose, I mean, I, we really only were choosing five or six at a time to talk about. I went through all of my five or six horror movies uh and we all analyzed my films uh we cried a little i learned a little bit about myself very beautiful stuff and now we are moving on to uh to other people's films in this podcast so one of the people one of the co-hosts that we have in here is tyler benjamin and he has selected for his first uh horror film to talk about and review the babadook so my first question is why did you pick this film why is this your first film uh to to discuss
1: it's it's really kind of interesting. I sort of gave up on horror for a really long time. Um, you know, I, I watched a lot of it when I was younger, um, more as like a teenager and stuff. And I was still, I guess, really uh, impressed with kind of like the standard stuff. Like, Saul was one of my favorite horror movies back then. Um, but eventually, that kind of gets older, right? Like, you know, you just sort of um, get desensitized to the same sorts of stories. And so eventually, I just stopped watching horror just for a really long time. Um, the Babadook. It was released in, I guess, 2014. And I think he, I actually heard about it from you, Noah. But I gave this a watch. Um, and it, it's incredibly interesting because it's nothing like any of the other horror that I've ever seen. It's incredibly unique in its story and its antagonist in the way that it kind of tries to set up a protagonist and the relationship there. Um, the delivery is really subtle. It's, it's a little bit slower paced. There's absolutely zero gore. Um, and it's just overall a really impressive film. Another reason that I thought this one would be a good one to pick is because whenever I would talk about this with people, the impression that I got seemed to be entirely different than what everyone else was saying. And I just absolutely just blew my mind because when I watched this movie, it, it speaks to me really clearly, um, maybe just in like a symbolic way. Maybe it just resonates me w- with me in some particular way. I don't know what it is, but the picture that I get whenever I see this is totally different than what everyone else seems to be saying. Um, and hopefully that'll be good for uh, sort of a point of discussion here. It just seems so obvious to me that it's, it's so impressive in really clear ways that I think it actually kind of gets in the way of me even sort of picking it apart in any more detail um, I don't know if, if you guys ever get this, but when something seems so certain, it sort of blinds you to other possibilities. So, you know, it'd be really interesting to see too if, uh, if other people kind of get a, a different impression here.
0: If you're very headstrong about the way you interpret it and you see it so unbelievably vividly and someone else doesn't, I feel like that is that's, that says a lot about you, right? That's the stuff we want to talk about. That's the stuff that makes horror interesting, Right. Um, So now I'm really interested to know sort of what your takeaway is uh, from this movie. I'll start by saying what I really liked about this movie is that it did something. It started very similar to other horror movies that have similar tropes with children finding this this item that unleashes this demon. It could be a puzzle box. It could be a book. There's a child who has stumbled across something and it opens up this world of demonic entities and things like that. But the Babadook sort of starts that way makes you think that that's going to happen, but then inverts it into, it, the way I interpret the film, is that it heavily inverts it into, you know, the mother having a kind of mental breakdown um, with the situation that she's going through. So, I mean, maybe we could just start with with that. The way I interpreted the movie, my 62nd sort of overall large interpretation is that, clearly, the Babadook is not this actual entity that exists like on like metaphysically in the world it is a manifestation of fears and anxieties and repressed uh, anger and emotion that she has i think for her son and then for also the situation she found herself in on the day that her son was born and the day her husband died there's a lot of maybe denial repression i'm using these terms extremely loosely very unprofessionally because i don't know what i'm talking about but, but there's stuff there that she's Working through, and it, it's this time of year where that stuff comes out. I, I use the word working through like it's minor stuff. She's clearly going through very dark, very horrific mental strains, and that is the Babadook. That's what that entity is, right? And I like that the movie did that. That the movie didn't make it, it's almost like um, Insidious plus one. I don't know if you guys have seen Insidious, but Insidious is very similar, but it actually ends up being the case that there are those things in reality. There is this demon that their son has stumbled upon, and it's not necessarily because of an object, but it felt very, this movie felt at the beginning especially, very much like Insidious. But then it had that twist, right? It it, it sort of inverted it on itself a, a, and brought it into a more interesting place, a a, a place that sort of became a platform about conversations about mental illness and all of this other stuff. I dug that. I I remember seeing this with my friends and they hated that. They thought that was so stupid. Like they didn't get the ending. They didn't get the ending. They didn't, they were like, why, what? And I'm like, you guys don't, you're not, you're not watching the same movie as me. Like what's clearly no monster. So that's my, my thing. What is your 60 second this is how I interpret the film.
1: A lot of that, I think, is going to be really similar. That's that's a fantastic sort of way to frame it. Um, and yeah, anyone that does watch this and just sort of see a standard monster flick where there is this physical entity there that's kind of chasing them down, um, you know, absolutely probably missed the point by a mile. And in that way, it's sort of, uh, it's similar to me, like um, like uh, how, um, oh, shoot, what was the first one that you picked? Um, It follows follows. right so you have this sort of nameless faceless thing that you know symbolically it it doesn't actually represent a physical entity chasing them but it is growing and stronger it's coming closer and it's becoming more and more threatening i thought that was also really interesting but i think the issue really is here is that um allison i think that's the mother's name is allison um it's more about like denial right so like for seven years after this wreck she hasn't seem to address her issues at all like she's repressing the entire thing not really thinking about it and you know of course this is coming out in sort of the way that she reacts um to her son and yeah some of those surface elements about like bringing mental illness to the forefront you know that's absolutely fantastic you know her son does sort of exhibit these like stereotypical panic disorder behaviors right where he just sort of freaks out and seems to have what looks like a seizure in the back seat of the car um you know and just thinks that he needs to protect his mother. Right. Um, So there's kind of an interesting role reversal there where he, he can like clearly perceive that she feels threatened by something, but can't really tell what it is. And the the fact that she feels threatened makes him feel threatened. And so that's why you have him sort of building like all these like strange contraptions and stuff. Um, But really like the interesting thing here for me was that, you know, the fact that everyone seems to focus on the mother here and, and that really does make a lot of sense but I think the key really is to sort of comparatively look at her kid and then sort of think about what you know about kids in general. Right. So what's really interesting here to me is that the fact that he doesn't seem all that odd, to be honest, you know, he seems a little, maybe a little more clever. Like, I mean, he's, he's, uh, (laughs) he reminds me of Kevin McAllister in home alone. Like I mean, he's putting together (laughs) these traps that are almost pratfallish in nature. Um, but it's to think about a kid actually putting this stuff together in first grade is a little bit mind blowing. Um, you know, sure. Yeah. I mean, he absolutely is starved for attention, but what child isn't, you know, when you look at the restaurant scene, you see this other booth sort of contrasting with them with kids crawling all over and screaming all over each other. And it's just absolutely normal and natural. And the mother in that situation is completely calm and ordered. And, and it's, you know, totally normal for her. Um, but yeah, just like the, the, the focus that gets put on in, on the film through the mother and the way that it just sort of changes your perception of the child, I think is the really, really interesting trick here. And probably the one thing that's, um, you know, I'm really most impressed, uh, with this film about.
2: What about you, Antonio? What'd you think? Um, thematically, I think, I, I think I'd say that it's pretty much as you guys describe. it's a movie that's about, um, loss kind of indirectly, and more directly, it's about the way that trauma shapes our consciousness and affects the way that we, um, the way that we process our lives and our outside, uh, our external and our internal worlds. There is a, an element of Pandora to it, where it's there's there, you open this box up and all these awful things come out. But there's an element where there's they're kind of inevitable and they're kind of necessary and. In the act of letting it all out and confronting it and continuing to confront it on a daily basis eventually makes you um, stronger and lets you heal and lets you find the, the uh, hidden value or, or the, the way that you can manage that, that tragedy in your life, which is, I think, how the, the movie kind of ends. You know the, the, it, It's a brilliant inversion of the common horror movie trope. The usual horror movie trope is that at the end of the movie the monster the monster comes back to life in some sense, you know, the monster's been killed and then the last frame in the movie there's a a, cl- a little you know clawed hand clutches up through the earth and goes ah and then credits, right? And this movie has that, but it's a very different kind of resurgence, you know, the monster's beaten and he comes back, but he comes back and he's not really a monster anymore. He's 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 down in the basement and he's something that you can't get rid of, but he's something that you can now manage because you have the courage to go down and confront him on a daily basis, you know, as opposed to avoiding him and letting the fear consume you and infect you. And and that's the, the other interesting aspect of the movie is the aspect of infestation. Because it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting um, duality in the in the movie in that there is sort of an external monster that's that's referenced a, a great deal, um, and it's an externalization of something that's inside us, but it's also it also literally is is something that infests us at the same time, you know, and the and the theme of infestation is obviously prevalent in the movie you know there's this theme of cockroaches the monster moves in a very insect-like way and chitters like an insect this this notion of something that is that is sort of parasitic if we don't manage it is is very strong in the
1: movie
0: i really liked the ending the ending to me was it was unique um i i i didn't so much see it as kind of like Freddy's claw coming out of the you know, the ground or, or Jason's mask being pulled down or something. I mean, to me, like, that was more or less ending the film in a way that, like, acknowledges, so the protagonist acknowledges the problem and as a result is able to manage it, right? I think that's, the, that, that's a happy ending to me, is being able to acknowledge the Babadook, so to speak, feed it worms, which I thought was really interesting. I'm really curious to to think, to see what you guys thought about that. Why specifically it was worms, why she fed it worms. Um, but just the acknowledgement that, you know, okay, every year this is going to come up. You know, this is the thing that I need to deal with. I need to acknowledge it, feed it little pieces, not let it consume me. There's the scene when she, at the very end, when she goes down and it, and it kind of almost attacks her and she kind of takes a step back and she goes, she goes, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And it sort of slowly creeps back and it's like, give me the worms, right? Um, shit like that never goes away. People who have trauma in their lives and have um, you know, uh, uh, issues with mental illness, I think there's an a- acknowledging that this is something you're gonna have your entire life and how best to manage it, how best to deal with it um, is important and it gives you power over that as, as much power as you may ever get really over the monster. Um, and I think I, that's what I got from... From the ending of the movie, that way, right? Um, that that monster is always there, but it's manageable. That sort of thing. Um, so I, before we even move on, I just I have to ask why worms? I've had this debate with other people, and we can never really agree on why it was worms. Maybe we're just not supposed to know. Maybe it's
2: just not important. I think there's a number of clues that that the movie provides as to why it's worms. Okay, um, and that is uh, so. So let's think about the nature of the Babadook, right? So um, it appears as the deceased husband a number of times um, including in like a violent and like you know it, as it sort of reenacts his death at one point and so this is this is the connection with death is very strong you know and you have the cockroaches which are a symbol of decay as well a symbol of something that's died and is now being sort of like you know it's food for the roaches as it were so I think I think that the earthworms in dirt represent the the turf of burial symbolically i think i think that's kind of the obvious interpretation is this is this is a creature that's connected with death and so the way that, the way that you feed it if you're not going to feed it emotions is you feed it something that's related to you feed, you, you you sustain it with what, the foundation of your tragedy you know that that's what it that's really what it is at core and so the benignity of it the benign aspect of this creature is where it's just the fact that you're husband is you know uh buried in turf
0: that is a very very deep interpretation i think he just likes worms like the taste the texture i think that it's just it's culinarily speaking more babadook in nature i don't know so the big debate i always have with people in this movie besides the worms is you know the way we see the child in this movie is it through the lens of the mother or is it the way the
2: child really is well as as the parent i guess out of the three of us um I, I have to say that I find it a realistic portrayal. I don't. I think it's played straight. Um, you know, and in fact, I was actually doing some reading on on the movie before um, going to the, do the podcast. And one of the things that um, the the filmmakers specifically noted about this movie was they wanted this to be something about that, that that highlighted the difficulty of parenting. How parenting is not always you know this bundle of joy that is bringing more. Happiness into your life, and, and that and it's not just you know that they're rebellious teenagers. This includes when they're you know cute little six year olds. They they're are going to be moments where you look at this kid and you have to try really hard not to hate him and not to want to just throw him out the fucking window. And it, there is not a there is not an honest parent alive who has not had this experience with their child where they're just like, oh my fucking god, what have I gotten myself into? And it's really taboo to talk about that because you know mm-hmm. kids are so innocent and we need to protect them and there's all these societal imperatives about them and there's all these memes that are propagated around parenthood about how it has to be something that like enriches your life and brings joy to it or you're like you know shitting on the entirety of human civilization and so one of the things that this movie specifically wanted to bring up and address is that you know parenting isn't a lot of fun and and having a kid has a lot of complexity in it and i think that the that the kid is actually depicted in a wonderfully sensitive way by this movie by the way they they show him as freaking out and being you know definitely a kid in in a number of ways including you know immature and very obnoxious ways but at the same time they show that the kid really does love the mother and it is the kid's love for the mother that is that's what permits her to get past the trauma in the end and so i think it's a great great Portrayal of the kid because it goes the whole spectrum. It goes across the whole spectrum from where he's just freaking out and being an asshole, and it's just it's way too much for her to handle, and she just wants to smash him against the wall. And then all the way on the other hand, where you know she's possessed by this, and it's his reaching out despite the fact that she's hurting him. That that is what permits her to break through.
0: It's interesting that you say that because I I've, I've found that most people who think and this included me the first few times I saw the film, actually, most people who think that the film is seen through the eyes of the mother are people who don't have kids. I I just thought about that, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can peg the people I know who I watched this with who thought, yeah, like, good Lord, man, that uh, that kid is, is clearly being seen through the eyes of the mother because everything is always so negative. There's all these things happening. Everything is always, every problem is always exacerbated by, you know, the kid's attitude and all of this, and it's, it's just horrible, right? Kids screaming almost every other scene, and those tend to be, people I noticed who don't have kids. Um, I felt that way the first few times I watched the movie. I thought, okay, clearly we're seeing this through the eyes of the mother. But I, as I started to watch the film, I started to come somewhat to your perspective that I think this is the way the kid is. I think that that is a a very honest portrayal of the way the the child is supposed to be. I think that the film uses that to a a certain degree. But you're right. the 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 factor that sort of persists throughout the entire film is the love that the child has for the mom. Um, What really stood out for me that watching this this last time is how even in the early scenes in this movie, there's that problem between them. Um, Like one of the earlier the earliest scenes is just he's trying to hug her and she says no. And and I I know there's the scene where like he hugs her a little too tightly and she's like stop. you know, now, I interpreted that when I first watched the movie as kind of like this kid is too clingy, that there's a clinging issue there. But what it really ended up being is that the mom was uncomfortable hugging the child because it's getting closer to his birthday and to the day where all of the you know this tragedy took place. So it's almost like one of those films where once you understand what's happening, maybe towards the end of seeing it the first time, you can come back and watch the film again and sort of see everything much more clearly. That's uh, one of the things I think I, I enjoyed about this movie a lot. This is one of those movies that has, how, let me see if I can phrase this right. It, it's it's similar to It Follows in that it has a very simple plot that deals with a very deep issue that can be incredibly complicated and very complex, but it, it does it very um, tactfully and it does it well. And it does it without making things too complicated. In other words, it's almost like a watch, right? Like a watch is you take the top off. It's an incredibly complicated contraption. But when it's working the way it should, it, it simply does one thing. It tells time. It's, very, it's a very basic thing. But underneath it, it's extremely complicated. To me, those are the horror films that are great, right? And I think we, we talked about it follows for like two and a half hours, right? This is one of those films that I think is something like that. I mean, the fear in this movie really when you think about it is not a guy with his hands out like this. It's the mom with her hands out like this right uh i mean the scene one of the coolest parts of this movie and i i think we all felt this when we first watched it during the first running is when she comes into the kitchen and has her hands out for like a split second in the way the babadook does i mean that was like that was one of the most awesome moments in a horror film because i was like dude how have i not like i knew at that moment that she's the fucking babadook like, how have I not? And then it, you just start thinking of everything you saw before. And then you're like, okay, I got to watch the movie again. Now, this is probably just me. But, like, I, I, I dug that, right? There was this, oh, yeah, look. There's, like, we have this top layer of ice cream. But if we go under, there's all this other, like, rich, awesome Snickers. And so I had ice cream today. So that's why I'm using that as an analogy. But there's all this stuff under it, right? That's, like, awesome. And we get we get to enjoy that, too. Uh, this movie has one of those things in it. And it's, I, I've talked to people that um, – you know, think that this movie—can't um, believe I'm saying this—but they, one of my buddies, actually thinks like he doesn't think it has anything to do with like psychology at all, and that there really is a Babadook monster. Uh, I told him his IQ is probably less than thirty for thinking that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, but I, to me, clearly, this is about um, mental illness. I
2: actually want to propose a sort of a third way to look at it, and that is that um, I don't think I—I I, I feel like there's sort of two creationist interpretations and one like non-creationist interpretation possible for this film. And the, the, the two like literalist interpretations are the one where the Babadook is an actual monster. And then the other literalist interpretation is the, the version where you're seeing the mother's psyche, you know, that, that, you know, she's perceiving all this. You're seeing things as she perceives them, right? So you're seeing the kid through her eyes, you're seeing her kind of experience, right? And so she's imagining the Babadook and she's the one who wrote this book, right? Uh, you know, because she's mentally ill and she's having a breakdown and blah, blah, blah. That's the second sort of literalist take on it. Um, I wanna propose a third take and that is the magical realist take where, where this is not actually supposed to be a, a, a story where all the elements are literal. There is the, the, the elements where the, the, the book that appears it appears without explanation. It's not that she's crazy and she wrote the book. It's that it's that it's a projection of her situation in a magical realist kind of way in the way that magical realism handles these sorts of, these sorts of symbols is it manifests them in the real world in the sort of fairy tale kind of way. But it's they're, they're real in the sense of the they're real in the sense of narratively they have a they have an actual presence in the story and they're not just a really complicated subtext you know what i mean like in other words in other words the story is such that it's rather than rather than say that it, she's just mentally ill and you're looking at a two, at a couple hours of her met being mentally ill she's mentally ill and the way that her mental illness manifests for the story to be told to us is that she finds a book, you know, it's like a, it's like a fairy tale, right? She finds a book and she tries to get rid of the book and the book comes back to her. You know what I mean? There's a very fairy tale aspect to this. And I don't necessarily think that that's meant to be it, that that we're meant to be saying, Oh, well she actually, you know, was just nuts for a while. And so she charcoaled out this book (laughs) that she then found later and was like, Oh, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? I don't think that's what the movie is actually trying to say is going on. I think that's taking it too literally. I think it's I think it has much more of a fairy tale aspect to it than that.
0: But isn't that dangerous though like it, introducing that into any film but specifically horror movies where there's an element of the supernatural because then couldn't you just apply like why not just apply that to the Babadook or any anything else like why why would it have to exist in the realm of things that serve the narrative as opposed to anything else? I mean Couldn't you just sort of apply that to broad, in broad strokes, to the film? Isn't that kind of it seems dangerous to me?
2: Well, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is, the the magical realist take is more similar to the to the just bare literalist take. In other words, that there is an actual monster, there is an actual monster in the story, but that's not. But the but the point of the story is not to tell us about a monster. The point Mm -hmm. of the story is to tell us about about. Her psychology, right? Um, And so, to say that it's a story about a monster would be to be to be to to completely miss the point. The monster is real in in the sense of being real in the story, but but it's just a way for the story to describe to us these various traits, which is what makes it magical realism. Because this occurs in the real world, but absurd elements pop in in order to underline the important elements of the story to us, right? And so th- that's not a story about a monster. It's a story about a mother trying to cope with death, where h- monsters happen to pop in to illustrate to us what's going on. Does that does this make sense?
0: No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I so, so it, that's what you think is happening in this film specifically. Like that's your view.
2: I'm yeah. I, the I, I, I view. take I take a magical realist interpretation of the film. Okay. You know, where where the the mom isn't the babadook per se. She the babadook does actually infest her in a in a narrative sense. Narratively, if we're asking what's really happening, as far as anybody can say, she re- the, the there is actually a Babadook that like, you know, takes her over and she starts choking her kid and blah blah blah. And and so to me that's why the scariest moment in the movie is when she's actually choking her kid. It's not when the Babadook's like running around or pounding yeah. on the, the door or whatever. It's when she's choking her kid. It's because it's because she's given in to the monster and so now the two of them are at the same time both acting in a malevolent way and you know since 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 we're also telling a real story here the, the actual terror is when a parent turns against their child so that's the scariest moment to me and and i think that that if you take the the pure monster approach you know the, the this classic monster movie approach that can't be the the scariest element in the story. it's got to be like when he's coming down the chimney or when he's flying around or whatever right and I think if you take the the purely psychological approach, that might be the scariest element of the movie but like I said, I think making it calling it just all a hallucination I think is too is too literal to to express what this story is about It's a story that's about a story right this it's a story <laughs> about a story book and and that I think. Is also indicative of the magical realism of it. There's sort of a recursive matrix-like nature to it, where where it's it's the the fantasy bleeds over into the real world, which bleeds over back into the fantasy to shape it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I uh, I don't know how that sits with me for this film. I, I I feel like of the three ways that you describe this movie, I would be number two. I I feel like that makes the most sense to me. That. Uh, and and part of the reason I don't think I uh, I think the magical realist or I'm just going to call it the unicorn view because that sounds cooler. Uh, I, I, the reason that that has less appeal to me maybe than for you is the very the fact that of what we were talking about earlier that it gives you an entirely new outlook in the film if you ask the question what was she doing when we don't see her right when the, when the book get the ripped up book gets put back together. Like asking that question makes you reevaluate the film in a way that I think is, has merit in this kind of movie. I I, I think, I think just handing it off to, well, it's, it's, it exists because the movie really about this other thing. And, and it's, it's being shown through, those particular instances and that's all that those instances are meant for I think well, you um, I think you lose something if where, if
2: where I think where I think the magical realism of view gains value is in the ending of the movie okay I, I I agree with you that as far as putting together the book it's kind of like a cute like thing to wonder about like oh what if it was really her like being all crazy and she didn't remember while she's like a- <laughs> she went out and put the book back together right um but where I think that the ending the ending actually I think has merit with regards to the magical realism element because if we're looking at this as like a psychotic break, then, then the resolution for the movie is that she gets past it, right? Is that she, is that she figures out how to cope with it. Yeah, it manages it, yeah. Um, but but if, if we're supposing that she's going down on a regular basis to put a bowl of earthworms in her basement and like do like p- fucking parkour like in the basement, <laughs> she's not past it. You know what I mean? Like so she's worse off than she was before because she thinks she's better. You know what I mean? At least before she knew she was in a crisis, and now she's just completely batshit fucking crazy, but she doesn't know it. You know what I mean? And, we'll and that's, a really, that's a really—that's that a really true though. That's a satisfying I, way to end the movie. You know what I mean? It makes well, so much more sense if if there is, you know, it, this is kind of a fairy tale, and there is a monster in the basement. And Because it's a fairy tale. That's how fairy tales work. There are monsters in basements and and you go down and you feed the monster the worms and stuff and it's always there with you. And, you know, we reading the fairy tale understand that it represents the the trauma that stays with us through our lives. Um, But in the in the story, the characters are actually going down and feeding a monster and, and because they've learned how to, you know, psychically deal with its presence in their lives.
1: Well, just to uh, give a little more uh, sort of support for the psychological side, I mean, early on in the movie, um, or maybe halfway through, we we actually start to see uh, evidence that um, Amelia, I think that is her name, I was calling her like Allison or something later, whatever, the mom, the main the main character in the movie. Um, she shows signs of having dissociative personality disorder whenever she's at that um, that sort of birthday party and you see her just kind of phase out after someone mentions her husband. She just sort of like stares off in nothingness and it looks like she's completely disconnected from reality so yeah that's definitely going to be like an early sign of something called dissociative personality disorder where you can have uh, bouts of dissociative fugue where there are periods of time where you just sort of go on autopilot and do sort of things they actually talk about this in breaking bad if you're an, uh, a fan of that he kind of uses that as an excuse um that seems like that, that takes a little bit of uh, kind of like credence away from it but it's a real thing i promise um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that might also sort of explain maybe some of these are hallucinations, but really taking a symbolic approach here, I, I think makes the most sense. And it's not really at the end of the, the way that I interpreted the end of the movie wasn't that she had kind of like control or that there was any sort of resolution merely that she recognized the problem whenever she um, is kind of like wrestling with the Babadook the, the final time you see her take off the hat. And then there's this blast of light. Um, And symbolically, I always take that to mean sort of like looking into the truth, right? So like she sees the truth, she's sort of facing whatever that inner demon is. And, you know, now moving forward, she can sort of um, kind of like not necessarily cope with it or like fix it, but just acknowledge it right so like a lot of the, the problems through the movie I think came from her just not admitting that there was something wrong you know if someone asked her if she needed help she didn't really say anything she wasn't talking to a doctor about the problem she was acting like everything was okay but finally just sort of looking it in the face and seeing that moment of truth and things that yes this is the problem I can like sort of look at this now and you know that makes it I guess a little bit better like not necessarily fixed not gone no real resolution but she's recognized what the problem is
2: I think that there's an element of, of real resolution, though, in the in the movie, and there's a couple ways, different ways that it's shown. Um, symbolically, it's shown by the fact that the Babadook is capable of passing through portals, like doors and such. You know, that's, in fact, it's kind of one of its signature moves, is it pounds on the door and busts through the door and, and stuff like that. Um, and at the end of the movie, though, it's been disempowered to the point where it can be locked in a basement, Right. And, and the other specific story element that I think points to to not only an acknowledgement that there's a problem, but also some steps toward resolving that and clearing through it, is the fact that um, the kid's birthday is held at the end of the movie on the day that the dad died for the first time. And they specifically point out that this is, this is the first birthday I've celebrated on my birthday because my dad died on the day I was born. And that 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 she's willing to go do that suggests to me that she has at least started to move past the fact of that this bereavement that that she's now able to to see this day not only as pure tragedy but also to celebrate life on that day as well
0: the way i understood your comments was that the ending as explained by tyler is kind of it's not really it, it she's worse off if if we understand her to be in a position where she's where where she's she's acknowledging it and managing it right the Babadook the 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 issues that she's 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 sincerely going to deal with it looks like for the rest of her life. Do you think that interpreting it that way makes it worse for her? I, I thought I caught you saying that. For for me, I thought that was I, I thought it was good oh, as I you're gonna get.
2: What right? I was saying is if you were take if you take a hallucinatory interpretation of the movie, in other words, where where she was the Babadook, there was okay. never any external force. There was never, you know, the book was something that she wrote off camera and put together off camera um, after she tore it up. It's all her. It was all her all the time. There was never any actual supernatural element. There's no magical realist element. It was all just her having a complete psychotic break, right? If we take this interpretation of the movie, then what that means is that she's going down on a regular basis into the basement and like flailing around randomly, having more psychotic breaks, right? In other words, she's going down into the basement with a bowl full of earthworms. That's not the action of a mentally healthy person. If there isn't anything actually in the basement, right? If she, all,
0: yeah. Yeah. If but she, but continues. she's not meant to be bit mentally healthy. So, so I, that's how, exactly how I interpret the movie is that all of it was hallucination. I don't think there was anything supernatural about this film at all.
2: Right. And, 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 so, I, yeah. and so if you take that interpretation, then it's actually, then there, then there isn't actually a happy ending. There isn't actually a resolution. She hasn't actually moved past her husband's uh, death at all. She just feels better about it, but she is in fact still continuing to go down into the basement and hallucinate and, you know, take bowls of earthworms to do schizophrenic kind of thing.
0: I, I would where I think I would disagree with you is she's not healed. I don't think she'll ever be healed, but she is healing. I think that um, I think for some people, managing it, whatever their monster is, and and sort of making it smaller and shrinking it is uh, is is a happy ending. Is as good as it's going to get for some people. And I think in this film. The happiness of the ending is not meant to be it's gone
2: that that is absolutely that is absolutely the message of the film. The message of the film is one hundred percent that that whatever your trauma is stays with you, that you're not going to be able to successfully get rid of it in many cases. That's absolutely the lesson of the film. What I'm saying, though, is that that if everything was a hallucination, she's not necessarily any better than she was. She just feels better. She's not necessarily, in terms of actual mental health, she's not necessarily any better than she was. She hasn't actually. She can
0: function now a little better. That's it.
2: Yeah, maybe. And and yeah. and I think, and I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's a charitable interpretation of where the narrative tries to go. I think, I think that it's, it, I think that she, it's an acknowledge. I think the the film tries to tell us at the end that she that she has put this monster that was rampaging through her whole house. She has now confined it to her basement. And she has come to terms with it enough that she can go down and visit it on a regular basis, um, which means that she is actually healing from it, right? And so if if you don't take it to be completely hallucinatory, then this is actually kind of a happy ending. Mm, That's interesting. she's, She's getting better. I think if you take it as completely hallucinatory, it's not a happy ending. It's just, wow, she has shuffled this bubble around underneath the bubble wrap pretty effectively you know what i mean like it's it, it, it's not it's not that this is still with me but i can manage it now it's i've decided to do a completely i've decided to do a slightly different way of being completely unhealthy about this
0: i you know i actually i mean? th- I, yeah, I totally get that i actually think that was the, to me, that was the most charitable way to interpret the ending. I, I think that's how the film ended. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess to me then, I, so to me, I, it, if I take your idea of what what would make it a happy ending or not a happy ending, uh, this film did not end happily. Um, but that's exactly how I interpret it. So I'm kind of like, I'm agreeing with you as you're talking. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I took the film. I took the film to be... A hallucinatory, one hundred percent, nothing supernatural about anything going on. Now there are some problems with that. Um, you know, clearly all the scenes with the Babadook, we can sort of say, okay, she's hallucinating. But there are other scenes where, like, the sun's like floating in the air, right? Where the Babadook's like about to take the sun, and this kid, the sun's feet are like up in the air, like he's getting sock like sucked out of an airlock or something. So there's things like that that would be I mean, we could just, we could still say that that's hallucinatory but at some point it does become sort of hoop jumping I think with certain scenes. But I think overall that's how the film struck me. Antonio is, is just uh, it's all it's all in her head. Everything. Um, yeah. What about what about you Tyler? Are you like in, where do you think that that uh, now I'm really curious. Is there anything supernatural about this film at all to you? Yes
1: or no? No. Zero uh, percent supernatural. Yeah, I really think even if it wasn't necessarily hallucinatory, which you know I, I could definitely buy that. Right, like if we're if we're looking at a, a pure sort of explanation and everything has to fit into a specific mold, you know, hallucinations would make sense here. But you know, I tend to on on the side of kind of like just symbolism, right? Like I think some of this was just sort of granted into the story, into the shooting of the film, just because it was a really fantastic device to explain something.
2: The purely, to me, the purely hallucinatory interpretation is possible but it's cheap, you know, it's, it's, it basically boils down to, it was all a dream, you know what I mean? Well, but kind of, right, like, I, well, okay, so two things. One, you know, it's all a dream, and it's all a dream lets you, lets you get away with a lot narratively, and, and in terms of narratively, and visually, and stylistically, you can do anything if, if your explanation at the end is, well, it was all a dream, man, like, you, you know what I mean? And so, and so, I, I don't know. It, it is. It's a really good movie. It's clearly a movie that's that's been put together with a lot of thought. And I kind of don't. I kind of don't want to give it the cheapness of saying, yeah. "Well, it was. Gotcha. Well, it was all a dream, man." Like, there's all this like crazy shit going on. I got gotcha. I mean, I mean it, it was just. It's just neurons firing. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. It, it deflates the film a bit if you if you see it as as entirely. And, and we use the word hallucination. I mean, I don't even. Clinically speaking, that's probably not even the right word for what what's going on with her, but yes, that she's, she's viewing things incorrectly. She's seeing things, however you want to phrase it. But um, yeah, I don't see it as, a, I, I don't see it necessarily as cheapening this movie. It may, it, it, it sh- there are certain times, I think in certain films where you can do that, where you can explain away things and go, Oh, well, man, that really just, that makes everything feel less valuable. If we, if it's all just a dream, I mean, I a dream, I don't think it's all a dream in this. I mean, I think, that sort of implies that nothing in the real world is, is happening. There's no real tangible effects that are happening to her or other people. And clearly there are in this movie. So I, I, to me, given that, it doesn't, especially considering it's a relationship between a, a mother and a son, the fact that there would be hallucinations doesn't devalue that relationship. It doesn't devalue the circumstances. It doesn't deflate what's going on to me at all. If anything, I think it highlights an important issue that can be drawn from it. You know, issues related to mental illness and all of that other stuff. But yeah, it, it doesn't hurt the film at all to me to look at this as as we'll just say hallucinations, as hallucinatory. What what's going on with her it doesn't hurt it at all. And and every and every little thing actually, the book showing up, all of that stuff. The I really did interpret it as as all her and the scenes where you know we see the kid flipping out and saying these other things there's something we're missing the film is meant to convey a scene or a missing puzzle piece that we're not we're not seeing that later on once you watch the film again you go ah you know there was something happening and actually the film actually supports this now I think about it because there's these there's these moments where like time flies by where time passes and you sort of get the vibe that like some—I mean, some of it she's sleeping. A lot of it, but the film has that element to it where deep, you know, st- long stretches of time pass, and then the kid behaves a certain way that's not—he'll reference some event or something with the mom, and you, you, you wonder stuff happened while I, you know, during this span of time, something must have happened. Something's gone on. So, I, I, to me, that just spoke to me as taking the film entirely as you know from the from the perspective of the mother and uh that uh yeah all of it being hallucinatory every single thing i mean it just, just struck me as kind of like obvious to me it's kind of weird
2: so 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 if um if you know one of those um school truancy officer people right Mm-hmm. Had, been, had been tailing the mother at the end of the movie, you know, when she when, when she's out with the kid and they're collecting earthworms, then she goes inside and goes down to the basement and blah, blah, blah. what he, would he have seen?
0: Uh, he would have seen the mother flipping out. So to me, he would have seen the mother doing her little matrix bend, right, her little Neo thing. And I don't think the, the earthworms would have moved, or if they do, she just throws them and it slides in or however what happens. I think that that is, all, that is all that would be down there. I think the mother would be freaking out. It would probably look insane. It would look batshit crazy. And that's probably the stuff that the kid has been seeing all the time, which is why the kid behaves a certain way. So I agree with you that this isn't a fix at the end. This isn't the mother getting uh, healed. I do think it is her getting better precisely because she's acknowledging that she has this thing that she does that she has this problem that's there but that she's able to lock it away and deal with it in a time frame and in a manner that is now controlled by her and it's not controlling her it's not controlling the every other strand of her life she's able to lock it away so nothing supernatural happens she probably does this matriky weird bend thing it looks insane And that is how I think that that's actually what I think happens at the end of the film. If at the end of the movie, the Babadook shows up like really shows up or something supernatural that makes me think all of that other stuff wasn't her. I feel like that would throw a wrench in the film. I feel like that would mess up the movie because the movie has been conveying this very clear picture of what's going on to me. And then if, if we took some sort, sort of supernatural thing and threw it in at the end, I feel like I'd be like, what I literally would be like, what the hell? Like, I, and if anything, I would interpret. I, I probably would never even get there because I'd be interpreting the Babadook as just another one of her little matrix things as part of it. She's flipping out, but flipping out in a controlled way.
2: I don't know. I find that I find that really interesting because because I don't know how you could how you can invalidate the notion of a haunting. Like if you if you take the movie basic the movie's basically if you play the movie straight right, the movie's basically a, a possession story. Of some kind, you know, if, if there is an actual supernatural element to it, then then this is basically a you know one of these spirits that are, or el- entities that that you know rides the grieving and and you know depressed mm-hmm. you know in in folk mythologies, um, and so. I don't, I don't know why that would, that, why that would invalidate it, that, that she is the, she's the anchor point for this negative force, right? I don't think, I don't think that, that, that that a, that a magical realist or a literalist interpretation of it takes, takes that fact away at all. I think, I think even if you look at it as, you know, literalist or magical realist, she's still the anchor point for this negative force. She's still generating and sustaining and creating to to some extent the the specific features of the babadook it's still her you know and 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 the entity is contiguous with her which is why which is why you can't get rid of it and it's under your skin and you know all this stuff that's very specifically talked about in the book and so it it is still her. I don't I don't know. I, I, I don't think that, that if you view it, if you externalize the Babadook to some extent, it's still her generating it. She's still the thing mm-hmm. that's empowering it. And it is her decisions and her change of mindset at the end that disempowers it. So do you mind unpacking how, how you think that it would kind of ruin? that because I don't see why it would. I think that the theme, that that theme maintains a lot of continuity across all interpretations.
0: I think what would ruin it, maybe you misunderstood what I said. What I think would ruin it would be an actual supernatural explanation, particularly if we're talking about the ending, particularly for the ending. So anything supernatural, right? So if there is an outside entity that is not, it's almost like, um, you know, the brain mind thing, right? Like a, the mind is an extension of, of the brain. It, people say it's like a, like a hum of a light bulb, that kind of thing. Right. That's kind of how I view the Babadook here, but it all comes back down to her. I, I, I wouldn't even use her as the anchor point. I don't even think that's, it is her, right? Like it's not the anchor for this thing. It literally is her. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, what I think would ruin it for me is if I found out at the end that the Babadook was a separate entity, that's what, I mean. That's what I meant. That if the Babadook was a separate thing, a tangibly separate, it doesn't even need to be corporeal necessarily, but an actual entity that existed and could hop on the back of anyone other than her, I feel like that that would make me look at all of the other stuff going on in the film as something happening to a person that, that is the result of the world or something external to them. Whereas the way I look at the film now, this is all a manifestation, all a part, all actually her. Let's yep. go
2: back. Let's return to, um, to mythology for a moment in order to, to sort of clarify this. Okay. Um, okay. In, in you know, Christian and I guess Judeo-Christian mythos, um, at birth, everyone receives a guardian angel. And a guardian angel is, is a spirit that is external. It's not you, you aren't a guard. You are not the same thing as your guardian angel, but your guardian angel is still an inseparable part of you. You know, it's, it's, it's something that, that, that goes wherever you go and is interested in whatever that you're doing. And, uh, its purpose in this world ceases when you die, you know, it returns to heaven with your soul or whatever. Right. Um, and so, and so, you know, it, you ask the question, is the guardian angel something that's an external entity to you? Well, I guess, yes, it is kind of formally an external entity, but there's also an element in which it's a symbiotic entity. its It can't be separated from your identity without changing itself in some fundamental way, right? And so I th- I think if you look at the Babadook, you know, if again, if we're arguing for a more magical view of it, as opposed to a purely psychological view of the story, if you view it more in the terms of of, like, a, 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 the negative pull of a guardian angel, you know, as opposed to, you know, a, a benevolent spirit that's assigned to you when you, that is created when you, when you are created. It's a malevolent spirit that is, that, that infests you when a tragedy occurs, mm-hmm. right? And so, does that make it an external entity? Not really, because it's because it's something that was created out of your life experience and that is dependent and its specific features manifest dependent on your specific life experience. And if you were to die, there wouldn't be any purpose for that haunting anymore. You know what I mean? It doesn't have it doesn't it can't move to another house because it's your tragedy.
1: But In the context still- of the film, what's the probability that that might actually be the case? Um, if we just look at sort of the mode by which this spirit, or let's say the Babadook, is actually some kind of demon, how is it introduced into their home? So we don't know, we don't necessarily know how long they've been living there, but we know that uh, her husband was killed six or seven years ago. So presumably, presumably they've been in the same place for a very long time. But then eventually, she just randomly seems to find this book, and that does seem a little bit supernatural, right? Like why is okay, it here? Okay, I don't recognize this. Go, but why does it choose that birthday specifically? Why would it Why would it choose that day to sort of like blossom and bloom into its um full unholy glory?
2: Well, it's it's implied in the story that that's the nature of the entity. There's a news story that's playing in the background in one scene where it's talking about this kid who got who got murdered by his mother, and the kid was murdered on his seventh birthday. And and the mother, you know, says some shit that sounds kind of they, they, in like the subtext. It's kind of it it implies some kind of babadooky sort of shit. And and this kid just died, and that's right when the babadook comes over and hits these folks up too. Now, now, of course, there's two ways to interpret that. You could say that she watched the news story and then her psychosis interpreted it as, oh, well, I should do the same thing to my kid, right? But you can also just as plausibly, you can also just as plausibly take that as this entity has succeeded in destroying this family that had a tragedy that happened in it, and now it has and now it has now, now it's manifesting in a similar way in this family which has a similar life circumstance wow i
0: never even thought of that i i'm so much a materialist now that that inter- that just never never even occurred to me
1: that does seem a little bit more like a traditional horror storyline. I'm thinking of uh, like uh, Chucky right now, right? So like the the evil spirit gets uh, attached to the doll, and then it just goes from family to family. Same basic thing, except for this one's a book. It's almost like maybe it's like Death Note that way.
2: Yeah, and and so the idea is that it migrates and then it kills. You know, it kills you, and then it goes on to the next. You know, six year old child who's coming up on his seventh birthday, who's had a tragedy occur. You know, and 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 the, that that specificity really does reinforce the notion that it's a fairy tale, right? that's mm-hmm. that's that is exactly how fairy tales operate fairy tales operate on you know this weird. i'm going to come to visit the child before his seventh birthday and kill him right and unless you do some really specific weird thing then it's gonna succeed and you know maybe the maybe you can't actually destroy it and that's one of the rules of the fairy tale is you can't get rid of it and so the only thing that you can do is since you don't want your kid to be destroyed you have to just keep it in your basement forever but the way the
0: way she the the climax of the film the way she wins quote unquote is by acknowledging and that to me just is one of the many pinpoints that removes the supernatural component to this because what kind of supernatural entity gets defeated by an acknowledgment of its existence what a weak entity
2: that's the point though is is it's is it's a psychic vampire right if if it is if if we take a magical interpretation what sort of a creature is this it's 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 an emotional incubus basically you know it rides you and it compels you to do emotionally destructive things until you burn out right until you <laughs> until you kill yourself until you kill your child and then yourself that's what it does and so in that context of course the way that you're going to defeat it is by not letting it continue to drive you down that cycle is by finally saying, no, this is painful, but I'm not going to deny it anymore. i'm going i'm I'm not going to let the denial continue to run me into this vicious cycle. I'm going to acknowledge it now you don't have any power over me anymore. You know? I, I just
0: I feel like that of all the things we could talk about that deflates or or messes up the film, I, I feel like that would be the chief culprit to me like that that just would ruin everything to me because I would not. I, I wouldn't think that this creature is really insidious to me at all. Um, by the way, just before we even go on, I was listening to a Coast to Coast AM episode. I don't know if you guys ever listen to that. George Nori, Art Bell. They have like a all right, paranormal program. One of their recent ones was they brought on a guy who claims to be a psychic vampire, like an actual real... And he like feeds off the energies of people and can tear down people and all of this. And it was probably just some dude with like a fedora like in his mom's basement. But um, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, I just I I feel like that declaws the monster too much to satisfy me, Antonio. Like that, I I it just to me would not be a a very scary monster. I don't know. Well, that's, well, that's, let's that's, think that's about
1: true Doctor true Who word. in this case. It almost makes it um it makes the Babadook sound a little bit <clears throat> like a weeping angel. You know, as soon as you look at it, it's done. It can't move. Ah.
0: Yeah, and I, my friend and I have this conversation all the time about, like, what, the Weeping Angel is the, the worst villain in, like, ever. He's like, <laughs> it, he's like this is the dumbest of my buddy. I did try to explain this to him. He's like, no, this is the, the stupidest villain ever conceived, and it's weak. And I'm like, no, you have to understand why. He's like, no, I'm sorry it's very similar
2: yeah and and that's that's honestly the beauty of it is is it subverts the the normal horror trope right that that the the thing that's scary is the monster in this case the thing that's scary isn't the monster the whole the whole thing that makes the monster anything more than just something that hides in a corner and eats earthworms is her she's the one that makes it monstrous it's not on its own it's not monstrous enough to it, all it can do is puff itself up and look really scary and if you if you give in to that puffery then it has power over you but if you just go whoa and kind of push back into it then it shrinks into the corner and it and it is completely at at your mercy instead you know and that's and that's a great subversion of the trope you know it's 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 an incredibly powerful monster if you're giving into it and as soon as you as soon as you stop buying into it then it becomes that then then it not even that it becomes and 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 that's that's the other aspect that where it's really beautiful subversion is it has a great nuance to it earlier noah you were saying that that you know this movie lays out the plot really clearly in kind of simple terms and i want to agree with that in the sense that it has a lot of purity of essence but I think that it also presents the story with a great deal of sensitivity and nuance that isn't necessarily complex, but is still very intelligent. Because yes, the monster is something that is only scary in combination with us, in combination with our weakness. But at the same time, you still can't get rid of it. You can, you can cow it, but it is still inextricable. It is never going away. And so that's 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 the beautiful. It, it, it subverts, it subverts it from both ends. On the one end, the monster isn't actually scary, but on the other end, the non-scary monster is still so powerful that you can't get rid of it at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. So that's that brings me to my question. So what's a worse monster? Is it a symbiotic entity that works in conjunction with our emotions or our 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 psyche? Or is a scarier monster the fact that there really is nothing supernatural going on and that this is entirely the workings of a mad, stark, raving, lunatic mother? To me, it is infinitely more scary. The latter is infinitely more scary. Maybe that's why I interpret it that way. Maybe that's why this movie is so scary to me, um, is that there's no supernatural in it. And that's kind of cool to me, right? The, The removal and reinterpretation of all of this supernatural and sort of things that you see in the film, the reinterpretation of those things is what makes it so scary to me. So that's my, my answer is it's much scarier as a film if you see all of this in a very naturalistic way of looking at it. What do you guys think? <laughs>
1: I definitely think the uh, the latter is scarier there as well. Um, you know, taking out any kind of like a you know, supernatural element really just sort of brings it a little bit closer to home. And then particularly this element that the um, the true enemy here is kind of like the self when you're thinking about the main character, bringing in that layer of self reflection that this really sort of um, kind of illuminates, right? So like the the resolution or the answer at the end seems to be facing your own inner demons. Um, you know, that whole thing. I think it, it really is uh, a little bit. Well, not even a little bit like just just much more terrifying um, because it's something that I think that any everyone could essentially relate to in some way. Even if you're not a parent, you know, you've got something inside of you that sort of eats at you from the back and like maybe you don't necessarily know how it's going to come out, but it might end up coming out and manifesting as choking your dog and breaking its neck. Um, if you're this particular lady or, you know, or however else blowing up at your friends, whatever it is. Um, yeah, definitely just, if it were supernatural, I think there's credence to thinking that that might be, um, you know, a perfectly fine interpretation of the movie, but I I definitely think the more realistic approach is, um, kind of what I'm citing on here.
2: As far as what's scarier, um, it's kind of like to me asking, um, what interpretation of the movie psycho is scarier or not or not psycho um, American psycho is scarier um and so you know of course at the end of at the end of American psycho there is a great ambiguity as to whether anything that you've seen in the movie has actually occurred and and so you know did he actually is he actually this insane serial killer blah blah? blah or is he just a man with particularly violent fantasies that you've just been getting unreliable narration from for the whole movie and there's a great deal of ambiguity left there at the end and so if i ask myself what's scarier for for imagining norman bates do i want is it would it be scarier if norman bates actually were a serial killer or would it be scary if norman bates were a An accountant who just happened to be a serial killer in his mind and i don't know i think i think probably the real life version is going to be scarier there you know what i mean like the version the version where he where these things actually happened and manifested in real life is probably going to be scarier to me so thinking about the babadook in the same terms i definitely see why the the psychological at approach is more horrifying to be to, to be very specific about the nomenclature it's more horrifying because it represents something truly awful that has happened to a person and this person has actually at this point lost her self-awareness of uh, that this is happening to her and and so that's horrifying you know this this person is is isolated and stuck in a deeply sick environment that she doesn't even know she's stuck in that's horrifying i i'll, I'll absolutely grant that as far as what's scarier, I think ultimately the notion that something can, that can enter your life from the outside without your realizing it and come in at a moment of weakness and prey upon you and amplify your own struggles to the point where they become supernatural, I think that's a very scary thought and i think that that's why monster movies are so successful is because we we are scared by the notion that that our weaknesses could be amplified by something that is so beyond our understanding that it's that it can amplify our weaknesses and destroy us using them so i would say that the the psychological interpretation is more horrifying the magical or literal interpretation is more scary the mexican view of reality the the latin american view of reality is a magical realist view of reality you, you know what i mean in in the sense that in the sense that we we don't really think that the things that happen happen yeah that no two people have the same, have the same actual series of events happen to them. And I realize that we all understand this, you know, all of us philosophy nerds are like, oh yeah, of course, you know, we, we all have subjective perspectives and blah, blah, but, but in But in Latin America, it's, there isn't an objective reality. There is no such, there isn't a notion of an objective reality. It's just a summation of subjective realities. Whereas in Western culture, there is a very firmly established notion of there is a real thing happening that that even if you are not aware of it, there is a there is an underlying fundamental reality that that you have some sort of access to. And that's really not how Latin American culture treats that. And so there is a greater there is a greater element of magic and mythology just in the way that Latin Americans approach notions of narrative. You know, stories are, are more fantastical. They grow in the telling and that's, that's how stories work for us. It, it the, the fa- if you actually check all the details, they may not actually be accurate in, in a Western sense, but that's, but that would be missing the point for us. It's not, it, the mm. point is not for them to be accurate in every detail. The, the point is for them to communicate what they need to communicate and pass on into the stream of narrative that, that, that we've, you know, been been using for thousands of years and and it's a very it's a, it, it it's a gestalt reality as opposed to an objective reality and and that's a very different cultural perspective and and I've often found that when taking highly symbolic interpretations of movies or or magical realist interpretations of various works I get a lot of I get a, I get the more western the perspective of of the person I'm talking with the less likely it is that they're going to share that perspective with me And I think that it probably, I think it really does probably come from a a cultural difference in the end where for me, the story, having, having it be a fairy tale is part of what gives it real world resonance. It, 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 if it were just hallucinatory, it wouldn't have the same real world resonance as if it, as if it's a fairy tale where there is actually kind of a monster in the story. You know what I mean? Um, and I feel like that's a cultural difference. Where, where, um, where, when I'm lo- watching the movie, I'm looking for, um, you know, what is what is the what is the narrative echo here? You know, what is what is what is the the thing the human uh, that it's trying to express? And 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 <laughs> that's the technical perspective from Western perspective because I'm obviously bicultural. Um, the Western perspective is what's going on. What's happening? What's happening? We're in the real world, you know. What is what? What? What exactly is going on behind all this? Is that really a Babadook? From the Latin American perspective, it doesn't matter that you're asking the wrong question. If it's like, was is that really there? That's not the point. You're missing the point if you're asking that question. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's it's a really interesting. Uh, it's a really inter- It's really interesting that we both have we both felt that this movie brought an echo of the trauma of childhood for us. But we still interpreted um, it differently, very differently. Both, but that, and, and we both feel very strongly that that shaped our interpretation in the particularized way that it did. Uh, unimaginative
0: Caucasian philosophers are the explanation for a lot of my beliefs. Uh,
2: a- absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So we have the unimaginative Caucasian perspective and we have the unicorn perspective. This is what we've drawn from this i i tend to and i do that with 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 most films that i watch i'm very the way you just described it a moment ago is exactly how i look at things where it's like matter of factly left brain this it like what's underneath let's cut open let's see and 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 it matters in a way that's like that i need that from film i need it right like i can't leave a film a certain type of film certain genre of film especially horror films and not get that and you'll notice that the films I criticize the most heavily are the ones that I don't get that from. I need to be able to take that scalpel and find stuff. If I don't find stuff, I've been done a disservice. I want my money back, fuck your film. Like that's that's the way I look at it. Anything else
2: you guys wanna say about the movie before we score it? Not um, thematically, but as far as the way the movie was shot, the movie was shot extremely well. want I, I want I to point out the camera work for the movie which was deliberately designed to be surreal and disorienting. And this is another thing that, that again, you can sort of parse either way, that there's a huge element of surreality in the specific way that the movie's filmed, in the way that they zoom in on faces they let time elapse they change the lighting from one from one cut to the next there's a huge element of surreality there and you can view that as evidence that this is like you know a, a diseased mind or you can view it as this is this is literally surreal right but the use of color in the movie is also amazing particularly the design of the babadook book um the way the way that it employs. Uh, color and tone and the way that this is reflected in the rest of the movie absolutely brilliant pay a lot of attention to it one of the real most interesting things about the way the, the movie is shot is that it is deliberately shot so that you see as much of the characters reacting as possible and as little of what the characters are looking at and reacting to as possible. If you if you watch the movie, it's deliberately shot in such a way that like when there's stuff like happening across the room and blah, 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 the camera, instead of, instead of looking at what's going on across the room, it will zoom in further and further and further on a character's face. As the character is looking at the thing that's going on, you know, at, on the other side of the room, they really like getting up in the characters' faces, and they really like pointing away from the thing that the characters are supposed to be looking at and toward the characters, almost like
0: it's all about them. That goes in the check mark. Noah's interpretation, booyah. Anyway, no, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just, I had to throw that out
2: there. And it's also a beautifully lit movie. There's a number of ele- there's a number of scenes, like there's one where. Um, um, the mom's feet come into view as she's walking along, and then they go out of view as she steps into darkness, and then they come back into very sharp illumination. That's this particularly kind of a cool, cool lighting trick. The although I will say that the it, it's a little much at some points. Where if you look at the way that the house is lit, like at night and stuff, it's just really perfectly lit at night. It's it's got it's it's, it's <laughs> so well lit that you're like man I wonder where that shadow is real how that shadow is really attaining that perfect shape in that in, in this scene I wonder why it is that I'm able to see this on the wall but not that on the wall yeah. but it is but but you know it it's a movie that's composed with a lot of care and and yeah. the shots are framed very very carefully and they are framed to disinform the viewer which I thought was a really interesting approach
0: going back to the book I felt like the the book stood out as being the most uh, say, bright color of anything in the movie. Like, it it just stood out compared to any of the other colorations you see in, in every other scene. Like, the book was very distinct and separate, I, I felt like, which clearly serves a lot of different purposes. But um, I felt that that was done purposefully. It was very clearly meant to be this thing that you would see anywhere in that house, no matter where you put it. And I dug that. The other thing I really liked was the sound. So, Ah, uh, particularly the sound when the the sort of transformation is happening with with Amelia. Is that her name? I can't believe we're not Amelia, right? Or the mom. Her the the there's a closeness in her voice when she like a, a almost a heaving when she starts to break that you hear her everything gets deeper, right? Which is clearly meant to happen in the film, but it sounds so scary. It sounds so eerie when when she starts almost laugh. It's not really even laughter. What is it when she's. But she has the break, and, and she's, she has the knife, and, and she yeah, she's laughing, actually. She starts to kind of just go, eh, eh. she's mocking the child. What does he say? Um, he pees his pants, and I forget the exact line. But uh, she's mocking him and, and repeating his words, and it's just so audibly perfect. It's almost like the mic should be right up here, like Alex Jones in her face. You know what I mean? Like doing a podcast compressed perfectly, like right here. And it just makes it so much more creepy um that little sort of t- change in her voice and how you you it it's so dominant freaked me the hell out
1: um, one thing I wanted to just throw in here that was, I thought was really interesting. Um, it seemed like it was a little bit Sam Raimi esque, like the entire thing, right? Um, a lot of what I think uh, was scary about this was the fact that I mean, you really don't see too much of kind of like the uh, the specter in the film. You know, going back to the realism here, um, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure if you could actually kind of prove this out that it was supernatural versus hallucinatory. Um, in such a way that you could kind of preserve the distinction there. But like if, the, if in any way this was made a little bit more substantive, like the, the Babadook actually showed up as like a monster that maybe at the end when you go into the basement, you actually see it and it's like the CGI thing. I really think it would have taken away from the film. Um, and just having the fact that, you know, you going back to what Antonio said about how in a lot of scenes they just really focus on the face and the reaction as opposed to, you know, what is going on that they're looking at. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it it just seemed like, um, one little minor point that might come up is that it, it reminds me a lot of, um, the, uh, the second evil dead, you know, when he's in the, um, he's in the, the log cabin and you never actually really see what's chasing him. It's always just like, it's kind <laughs> of going through the woods and like, you see his reaction to it, but yeah, it just seemed like a, like maybe they might've taken a note from that whenever they were making this on there. Just like one small thing that I saw.
0: So let me, since this was your film, I'm really I- I, I don't think I asked you this at the beginning if I did just tell me to shut up so this is a scary film to you not not just a, a good horror movie that you think is well done in the last however long but to you is this is this a scary movie to you like is this really one of those ones that if you were if someone said right now Tyler give me your, your top five scary movies and by scary I don't mean like they're well done but like they do shit to you that makes you think and, and worry or wonder or or have a sense of dread or angst or anxiety does this film do that to you
1: um I wouldn't necessarily call it something that's really scary but But again, you know, I haven't seen a movie in a very long time that did me a frighten, you know, I mean, it's not like I sit there and watch like a film and kind of like jump in my seat at the theater or, you know, have nightmares anymore. I mean, that used to be the case, but not so much anymore. No, but this one really did uh, kind of um, kind of hit me. Right. Um, My favorite horror movie of all time, and I guess it's probably a horror movie, is uh, The Seventh Seal. And I... Um, I sort of react to it in the same way that it's not really scary, um, but it does it like it hits something deep down when you're watching it that you're not exactly sure what it is, but it's there. Right. And so that really kind of throws you into wanting to think about it and keeping you up at night and things like that. It definitely has that for me. Yeah. It's not really like a super frightening, terrifying thing. And it really does make me think and uh, like feel something. Right.
0: Yeah. It's layered. It's a, it's a it's
1: an intelligent and layered horror movie.
0: Yeah, now I really, though, I want to find a film for you that it gives you like an event horizon sort of dig.
1: I'd be really interested to see it. I'm really interested to uh, see what you think might, like what the suggestions would look like there.
0: That's going on the list of things that I, a little mental check mark here. Scare the hell out of Tyler. Scale of one to 10, very basic score because we're not, we're not really super thoughtful. We like to think we're super thoughtful, but we're just going to score this on a scale of one to 10. A one being, you know, Mr., what is it? PP Poo Man, right? The Bye Bye Man, Darkness Falls, or some awful horror movie, right? Paranormal 73, and then maybe It Follows, which is the highest one we've done, being maybe at the other end. What do you give this movie?
1: For this one, I'm gonna have to give it a nine. Um, I think that ties my highest score so far. God, I forget which one it was, though, but I know it's my it's my highest score that I've given so far as a nine. Um, the reason that I don't give it like a 9.5 or a 10 or anything is just because I kind of know what my upper limit is. And even though this man, this, like this really gets close in the same kind of way. I just know one better. That's the only reason I'm giving this a nine instead of something higher, just cause I've got something that's like the same, but just a little bit better. But no, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed
2: this one. Well, the strengths of the movie are it's, it's beautiful. The acting is good, especially, um, where you wouldn't necessarily expect it. Like with the kid, it's very well shot. It treats some very serious material with nuance and respect. It's obviously apt to multiple different potential interpretations, which always is an thing to have to have out of a piece of work um it's intelligent it's well crafted i think the pacing is a little bit weak in a couple areas i think that the the way everything resolves is a little bit too convenient i don't i feel like there's not quite enough tension built up for the final resolution to to come off as other than a little bit cheap a little bit arbitrary but overall it's a great movie I really respect the subversion of normal horror tropes. I really respect the omission of a lot of cheap horror gags like like a gore and uh, mostly avoids jump scares. And and when you're scared, it it builds tension up to a scary point rather than you know, oh my gosh, nothing was happening and now all of a sudden something banged on the door, you know, mm-hmm. so for for its very respectful treatment of some difficult topics, uh, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10 also. To me, it was intellectually satisfying, so it passed that threshold of being a horror film that's more than just blood and gore and shit like that. And like you said, there was actually none of that. It was layered, there were other issues that were more important that the film, I think, uses issues, uh, this film that relate to, you know, mental health and denial and all of that stuff. So it's not just just surface level. It's not a particularly visceral horror movie like some of the ones I've chosen. It's it's more, for me, a little bit of anxiety. The fear is really a a social fear, a kind of, um, not social, a a relational fear, as opposed to some of the other stuff that we've seen in, in the other films. And those movies that have sort of relational fears or social fears, stand out to me and I'm a little harsher in how I judge them and this one I think is done absolutely well. So yeah, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. I mean, if you're a reasonably intelligent person, this film is going to make you think about more than a creature with a black hat and Edward Scissorhands claws. So we have an 8, an 8, and a 9. So this is a pretty, this is a, a fairly highly rated film compared to some of the others. Uh, join us for our next podcast. We will be doing uh, the movie Sunshine. It is not a happy-go-lucky unicorn-esque sort of Barney film about sunshine and rainbows, uh, although it does have sunshine in it, lots of it, an overabundance of it, one could say. So that is that's going to be our, our show for uh, for next week. Uh, if you like any of the stuff we talked about, it, you know, if if you laughed with us, you cried with us, you mostly laughed probably at us, then join in next week. You can uh, watch our show. Uh, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Deadly analysis podcast and uh, drop a comment below if you liked anything we had to say or if you disagree as you clearly have seen if you disagree with me you're just factually incorrect Uh, as a westerner it's just it's science it's science Um, anyway thank you for watching and uh, we'll see you next time